Welcome to Driving the Narrative, Women in Architecture, a podcast by SB Architects. I'm your host, Jeanette Hoffman. Throughout this series, I'll be delving deeper into what it means to be a woman in architecture. Today's guest is Carmen Van Leer, Vice President of Project and Development Services at JLL. Before joining JLL, Carmen worked at Skanska, one of the world's largest development and construction companies, and Katera, whose aim is to transform construction through technology. Breaking ground at JLL, Carmen is part of one of the only all-female leadership teams in Pacific Northwest, commercial real estate, and project management, and I can't wait for you to hear her exceptional insights into the industry. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you today? It's good. It's good. New week. So we kind of talked about how you've jumped around different places, but I think you have truly one of the most interesting kind of career paths. And I know it's, it, it there's a lot of uh, changes throughout it, but f- please tell us about it. Um, kind of talk about how you got started in our profession and then kind of where you ended up and how you ended up at JLL, because I think your journey is, like I said, one of the most interesting we have on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about where you started and how you ended up at where you are. Well, good to hear it's interesting because I, um, it feels very mundane to me. Um, so I, uh, went to school for architecture. I wanted to be an architect since I was forever. My dad, um, did design build homes. So I kind of grew up around in that space, watching him at the drafting table and just thought it was the coolest kind of blend of design and engineering and, you know, just getting to do art um so at least what i thought was art at the time a very exact art so went to school for architecture i worked in an architecture firm and when i was there um i became really close to one of the partners and he was a great mentor to me and he was on his way out of his career and you know basically said like he felt like one of the shortcomings of architects today is that they they truly didn't know how something got built and so he felt like you know, in order to really be a great architect, you needed to understand how to build things and know how to run a business and um, basically kind of cued me into the realities of being an architect, which are much different from what you learn in school. Absolutely. Not very many architects know how to run a business. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's just not something that you're ever taught. I mean, the things you learn in architecture school are so far different from what you learn in, in real practice that it can be staggering, especially when you're just coming out of college and, you know, you're, you're aspiring to all these great things. And they're like, here's a set of plans. Here's some red lines. Now get to work on AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. Like I thought first started, I was like getting carpal tunnels because I was clicking the mouse so much, just God, picking up red finger. lines. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> My gosh. No, they're like, take, um, take all those dreams and aspirations and those big ideas that you think are really cool. If you could just take like a, like three fourths of those and just shove them in a little box and we're going to push them in the back corner and here's the other drawings and we're going to work on those. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a full on like bitch slap because they're like, here's yeah. some window details you're going to spend the next six months, like pouring your heart into and you're like wait what's a window detail (laughs) this is your new passion (laughs) yeah I would google things like how to write specs (laughs) you know yeah just ridiculous things yeah I mean and this partner who who really mentored me too I remember he told me at one point that he's like I am the a partner in this firm you know like his name is on the door and he spends maybe five or 10% of his time actually doing what he believes is true design and what he went to school for. And that was just like, oh my gosh, like a watershed moment for me. You know, like he could do anything. Like he is running his own business and yet he has so very little time for design. Um, so anyways, I, I ended up having a friend who worked at Skanska, a large construction company, and they were, you know, had a ton of work and they were hiring. And so, um, you know, kind of based on this partner's advice, I decided that it would be smart to get into construction and learn how things got built sure. and how to run a business. So I ended up going to work at Skanska. I was there for 10 years, um, worked on every type of construction project possible, probably hospitals, retail, office buildings, uh, retrofits um, you know, university work. 
And then at the latter part of my career, I really got focused on operations and operational efficiency, kind of started with like lean construction, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily, uh, I think people think of like pole planning and all of that, but this was really more focused on streamlining operations, eliminating waste. Um, and so I did that for three years full-time nationally and internationally. Um, I worked in Sweden and then um, I had a friend who was at Katera and, you know, was kind of talking about what they were doing. And it was like a 10 month courtship where I was like, I'm not really sure what you guys do. And I don't think they really knew what they did. We're doing, so it was like, we're multifamily and we're modular and we're, we're also CLT. And well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but I it kind of got to the point where I felt like I had run my course at Skanska and mm-hmm. I felt like you know, moving the Titanic to get anything done and felt like there could be such a broader impact that was made in the industry. Again, my mentor, when I was at Skanska, we were just talking about kind of how to, how to do radical transformation in the industry. And he was like, you know, let me put it in perspective for you. Skanska is, you know, top, whatever, 10, five um, national global contractors. And in the U.S., we represent less than 2% of the market share. So we could say that we're going to do something like, you know, put our foot down and no one cares because we don't make enough of an impact in, in what we're doing that we can't have radical transformation. We're not a market maker. There are too many small, too many local, too many small, like the industry is just too big for us to really make that kind of change, um, which was pretty disheartening. And there was a lot of other things um, I think I talked to you and Ashley about last time about just like working at a construction company and things that maybe I didn't realize even when I was there and I now realize looking back um, that it was just time for me to go, you know, whether it was Katera or somewhere else, I was like, I, I need to push out the door. And this was a great push was, you know, somebody that wanted me and it felt like I could go in and be change and there was a lot of change to be made. So I ended up moving to Katera and I, my first day was with Brooke and Jason. We all started on the same day at at Katera and it was just a total wild ride. Um, I ended up your same day, your same day work friend start is, is a bond. You can't recreate like my same day hire. I think we talked about this, um, was it's still my best friend. It's just like when you walk in the door together and you like lock eyes, you're like, okay, we got to hang out. (laughs) We got each other's back. Oh yeah. Because you're kind of looking around like, what uh-huh. are we, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And like what you thought was going to be the company, like when I started, what my role was, and I'm sure the same for them, like what you, what you were told your role was and yeah. what the, the, op, the like operating procedures of this company probably changed like 10 times over yeah. by the time we all left. So it was like, I mean, I look back on those days and I feel like, man, boy, was I naive. Um, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So I pretty almost immediately started um, leading design operations for Katera. Um, so worked, you know, a lot with Brooke and Jason, just on like organizational design and getting to apply a lot of the things that I learned over my time at Skanska about running a business and about, um, you know, operational structure and things like that. So I was at Katera for close to four years. And then Things kind of started to get pretty shaky at Katera, um, as I think everybody's aware. Uh, Katera kind of crashed and burned. They had one of their major investors pull out um, from, you know, what was it, Greensville? Mm, I forget. Um, but basically, like, the whole house of cards came down. And so I was felt fortunate that I had a couple people tell me, you know, before that, real falling out, like, you need to get out of there. So um, I made the jump over to JLL. I had a former colleague from Skanska, a woman who um, you know, report to that leads the JLL team in the West for project management. And, you know, it was a great opportunity to kind of set um, a lot of what JLL does and, and the way that they support people aligned with what I think we were doing at Katera but obviously with a lot uh, stronger foundation as a corporation. I think that was part of what was hard is like, I, there was so much of Katera that I loved, but at the end of the day, um, stopped believing in the leadership and the direction the company was going and feeling like people were looking out for us. So it was nice to kind of meld like more of the, um, 
work culture that I had felt at Katera, but a stronger uh, organizational foundation. So since I've been at, uh, at GLL, I started as a market lead in Seattle and Bellevue for um, project management. And now I lead operations. So kind of going back to what I was doing at Katera, uh, leading operations for the West region of GLL's project management. So that was a long-winded way of saying how I, how I got to where I'm at. Hopefully that was interesting. I don't it know was, if it it's is. It's all interesting. I'm like writing down all my favorite parts about all of it. It's very, very interesting because I think it's, the reason why it's so, so interesting from is because it's not typical for what, I mean, I would think of as um, a typical person coming out of architecture school is going to think they're doing, right? So that's why, I mean, if someone's listening to this, that it's in school or going to be out of school soon or just starting out in their career, I think it's really important for them to hear your story because we talked about this a little bit too, architecture can, and we've talked about it on other podcasts, you know, your career path in architecture can be so many different things, right? Like first you started out in, in a world where you wanted to learn how buildings were put together, which led you to a world where you learned about operations. So I think it's for many reasons, important and very interesting. When you um, started over at JLL, you were talking about how like, leadership being in line, I would say with, with what you were trying to do and how important that was. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think, you know, coming from a big firm before I started SB, I think I have a similar understanding is, you know, you can feel like you want to move in one direction, whether that be on the business side or the BD side or the design side. But if you feel like, you know, leadership or mentorship isn't going in the same direction, it feels, um, lonely and very stifling, right? So, you know, what was it about JLL or vice versa about the other firms that like didn't work and did work when it came to the leadership qualities? Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. I guess there's lots of different things I could say on mm -hmm. it. I, I think when I was at Anska, I started out there, you know, almost fresh out of college. Like I worked at an architecture firm, but you know, when you're in your 20s, you feel super old. And now looking back at that age, yeah. I'm like, wow, I was so young. Um, yeah. And so I think there was a little bit of like leadership did a great job of making you feel like this is the path. This is the path you should be on. You're super fortunate to be here. You are lucky to be employed. Um, you're lucky all these things that we do for you. And you're going to be here forever because this is such a great company. But it's a lot of like, us, 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 and not a lot of like you, 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 and your professional development. And, you know, there's a very singular path in construction. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a very singular path, path in architecture too. You know, it's like you start out as a architectural associate and then you become a project architect. And then maybe you do a little PMPA work and, and then maybe you're a PA. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, there's this path that you go on. And I think for people, like for me, what I found is that there, that wasn't, a, I felt that that was pretty stifling and it didn't necessarily play to my strengths, but it's such a rigid formula. And I, I understand why these companies are the way that they are. Like there's so few margins to have people like out there exploring their passions and their interests. But I think that because of that, because there's such a risk, like the margins are so low and there's so little time for us to really develop the areas of our strengths that that is also holding the industries back. It's like, well, we can't invest in Jeanette figuring out what Jeanette wants to do because like we really need somebody like updating yeah. the details from this drawing set. Like that's great that you are interested in X, Y, and Z. You know, and I think that's why oftentimes in those spaces too, like people are underdeveloped as people managers or underdeveloped as business leaders because there's so much focus on production and getting things done. And, you know, I, again, like looking back at when I was at Scanska, like even to get into the position that I had, um, which was, you know, full-time operational efficiency, like that was like moving a mountain. I basically was like, I will quit. I am leaving. I don't want to run another project. Like you need to find something else for me to do. There has to be something else for me to do that like really plays to my strengths and things that I'm passionate about. Um, otherwise I'll leave. And so then they were like, I was in a hybrid role and then they like figured it out. Um, you know, and I don't know if it would have gone to that point if I hadn't threatened quitting. Like I yeah. literally said, I, um, 
And, you know, at, I think what was so powerful about being at Katera, like kind of going back to that, it was like so entrepreneurial. There mm-hmm. were so much like, because it was a startup and it was something I'd never seen before at a company because coming from architecture and coming from construction, they are such old institutions of how things are run that there's right. so little for like other. There's no and wiggle room. It's like, this is the established way of doing it. And if you move against the, the path and the, or against the flow, you're going to face a lot of struggles. Right. So if you find a totally. break in the structure somewhere, you're like, Oh my God. And you have this sort of passion, like you're talking about, or we all, I feel like in talking in the amongst this group do you're like, Oh my God, please let me have some leeway. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I and mean, it's just like, you know, we're all these worker bees. And then if somebody's like, Hey, there's this other path, you're like, wait, what? And I think that was like part of why Katera got so much like insane talent. Like Katera, yeah. it was so easy to recruit for because you're like, Hey, there's another way. Like there is this space out there for like, if you have an idea, like, and the idea makes sense, here's some time and some space yeah. to, to cultivate that idea. And here's some runway um, versus being like, oh yeah, you can totally tackle that in addition to your 40 hour work week. If that's something you're interested <laughs> yeah, in. On your free time that you don't have. Yeah. During, um, and it better not impact your day-to-day production, <laughs> like your bill of flowers. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, it was just this amazing space to try things. And like, like for me in operations too, there was so little operational structure. I was able to like make such a deep, deep impact and just like stand things up. Like, you know, we had 23 different titles. We had like 20 people reporting to one person. We had like no talent review process. We had no, like there's nothing. And so I was, it was, so cool to just be able to like stand things up or try things out. It's like, oh, somebody wants a mentorship program. Like let's create a mentorship program on the fly <laughs> and let's do, you know, there was so much pivoting and so much kind of fluidity in what we were doing that it was pretty incredible. And I think there were people that really struggled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to be somebody that was like comfortable in the ambiguity. Yeah. Um, like I love trial and error, but not everybody does. Right. Like I'm cool with like, let's roll with the flow. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm kind of good with the idea of like, we might create the best thing ever out of whatever we're about to do. Or it might crash and burn, but like, what's the worst that's going to happen is if we go back to the way it was. Okay. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. There was just so much instability all the time and people would just be crushed by it. And I'm like, (laughs) just have fun. None of us are getting fired. Like just, just enjoy this space where that we don't know because we could go back to a, a company where we do know like that's super easy go back to traditional practice like go do that thing and then they're well you know I'm not going to go that far and I also think there's been a lot of people that have gone back to traditional practice mm-hmm. that maybe in the moment at Katera were like super frustrated by it and then now we're like wow that was one of the best places I ever worked um but they didn't realize it when they were at there the mm-hmm. at the time so what I, you know, coming to JLL, you know, one of the things like the pendulum swung super far to Katera, just in terms of like, it, you know, being a startup, having lack of process, having just total ambiguity, like leadership was ever changing, um, didn't always know what the North Star was of like what we're trying to achieve. JLL is like the exact opposite. Like, I know exactly what we're trying to achieve. Like, I know what our strategic plan is. I know what our growth goals are. You know, it is bottom line driven, which is refreshing because Katera was all over the map. Um, but at the same time, JLL is very entrepreneurial. And if you've got an idea or you want to change something, like there is a lot of space and encouragement to to find your path and find your way. And so when I started in the market lead role, it's, you know, much more project-based, execution-based. And I was like, well, you know, we'll try this out. I haven't done it in a while. Um, And so, you know, I feel really fortunate that what, after being in that role for a couple years um, and my manager knowing that operations is really where my heart is, like for her to recognize that and, you know, promote me into my new position. Like, I think that that is telling just in terms of like more pathways and more 
um, just a built like ability to move around and try different things. So I feel really fortunate that I've been able to go back to operations because these roles are really hard. They're hard to come by. Yeah. You know, there's maybe one um, at a firm that's large enough. Um, so that's kind of a very circuitous route to answer your question. I think I answered. No, it answers it perfectly. <laughs> I mean, I, there's so many things that I think we can all relate to because I mean, going from a larger firm, moving to SB, which was a smaller firm, then moving to a Dallas office and helping start it up was a very startup mentality. But I think a lot of people at SB were, you know, a larger office transplant. So we all sort of grew up in this world that you're talking about and you understand completely, which is um, the way I describe it. And I think you'll completely agree. It's like someone else is creating your path for you. Like you, and you're lucky for that. You're there like, like the, you should be grateful that you were giving you this path. We're telling you how to do it and you're going to be successful and you get to do all of these great projects. How dare you ever think that this isn't the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Everybody else would be dying to be in this position, right? So it, it sort of brainwashes you for better. Totally. It really does. It like, like truly convinces you that there's not really much else out there or anything better out there. And so you feel like, even if you think if there's something else out there, that like, how dare you almost, right? Like shame on you. I mean, right. Like shame on me for wanting something else when like, this is the best thing that I could actually ever have. I'm at a top five firm and we do this much bit of 1% of the business, architectural business in the world. And I'm in, uh, working on the top five projects in North America. How dare I think that there's a different path for me, but that's what there is. And a lot in like, so you, like you said, I mean, talking about how when you do that and it works for a lot of people. And like you said, I understand why it works for those firms and the businesses. They kind of have to do it that way in a sense, because not everybody has the drive to figure out that path for themselves, right? Not every human is created equal as far as what sort of journey they want to take. But then, like you said, I thought was so interesting is then you don't have time to ever really develop your own strengths. And so that's, that's so important, Right. Like understanding, I, I mean, I truly remember when I, when I quit my job and moved to SB, I really like thought about it for a minute and would talk to my husband and talk to, you know, one of my colleagues who I can't come to work here with now in Dallas, Regan. And I was like, I mean, I was doing everything I loved, but I think I was using 10% of my talent, right? Like oh, 10, totally. uh, right? Like, and that sounds like a crazy number to someone who doesn't understand, but I'm like, no, like truly 10% of my, like, yeah, I'm good at my job and they like what I'm doing. But I think that I have like 90 other percent of skills that they're just not tapping into like client relations and talking about, you know, work-life balance or moving the profession forward or um, advancing design measures, all these different things. I'm like, but I'm working on deadlines. So that's a, to me, that's a 10% kind of range. Oh yeah. When you look at that, Carmen, it's insane. It's interesting too, because like as you know, it tends to be like the the most productive, um, for lack of a better term, best employees keep getting put back on those things because they're mm-hmm. so good. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we give Jeanette a little free time to do X, Y, and Z, but there's this other project that's over here that really needs somebody to come in and like clean it up, and so that becomes a priority over first, you know, personal and professional development, but. I think going back to what you were saying too, and we talked about this last time, when I gave my notice at ScanSky, like I was just shaking, like so oh, yeah. scared. And yeah, yeah, yeah. like so much of me was like, they have the done strong. so much for me. They've invested so much time in me. They have like, and now I'm, I'm going back on that and I'm doing this terrible thing that I shouldn't do. And I think that they just scare the crap out of you so yeah. that you don't want to leave. Because like, you're not going to find anything better. You are so lucky to be here. And it's not about you as a talented individual, like, man, we're really losing this talent. It's like, wow, you have made a mistake. And my boss's boss at the time was like, Carmen, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You'll be back in two years. And like, I just remember thinking like, even if there was ever a space that I might return, which I don't think I will, I will sure as hell not return now. Um, and just to have like the gall to say that to me, and again, like male to young female, 
um, you'll be back in two years. It was like, is this a threat? Like what I, I, I was I, told I, I like, was going through a rebellious phase. Oh, totally. I mean, that's what they think, right? Like that's literally what I was told. I was like, better. Oh, like a teenager, I'm going through my rebellious phase. Or yeah, I just decided a, to wake up and think about far. myself for once after 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible to me. And like one, I find myself now coaching friends and other colleagues or people that are like, you know, making either at JLL, you know, looking to leave or people that are coming to JLL that I'm just like, you don't owe anybody anything. The yeah, only I was going to say, what do you them. tell those people that are hearing that saying, I really want to know, like, what do you tell these, these ladies, men, all these different people that yeah. come to you and they're like, this, I'm hearing the same shit y'all were hearing. What do you say now? Cause I would love to know. Cause I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> I mean, I do it. I do it all the time. I feel like, because again, it's like either friends that I have. And I think too, like we're, we're at this at least for me, I feel like I'm in this generation where like my parents were all in their, their jobs for 30 years, you know, like my dad worked at the same, um, corporation, you know, he graduated and then he retired there. And so I, your first, my first sense is like, I was at Sanskrit for 10 years and it's like leaving. That was like, I couldn't cut it. Like I wasn't a career person. I couldn't stay there as long as all these like ultra ultra tenured people. And it's like, times are changing. People move around. It's like trying on shoes, trying on pants. Like you need to go different places and like have different experiences. And it's not a bad thing. Like it's a good thing. Like, you know, it's just the fluidity of the world and the cross pollination of ideas and things. But to like specifically address this idea that you get. And I think it's very common at like architectural firms and construction companies where again it's like you feel like shit like you you were so lucky to be here and now you're doing this to us like we've invested so much in you and like you're not going to go and find something better and like my what I say is you don't owe anybody anything it's about your career it's about your development if they're making you feel shame and I think it's especially true I know it's like men and women but I think it's especially true for women that are in this position that like we feel very guilty like we yes. take it super seriously we that take female it super guilt hard. is real yeah oh yeah and again they're like you know look at all this stuff we did for you and it's like oh yeah they did do a lot for me I like I think that there are certainly men that like have that same guilt um but I think a lot of men are like you don't know I don't know you anything like you are so lucky to have me you've been lucky to have me for the last 10 years and like I'm going to bring my talents elsewhere. And they have that like ingrained confidence versus we are more like, oh my gosh, like I am a terrible person. And I think some of it too goes back. And like, we talked about this um, in our previous call is like how much of this like father daughter complex gets pushed on us from like male leadership that quote mentors us, but treats us like daughters. So it's like, you're leaving this like daddy figure and that. I like that part of it. I think whenever I talk to women that are leaving, it's like they have this like male mentor that mm-hmm. they've had who has done all this, these things for them. And I think, again, you, it takes some distance being away from it to understand that like, actually that was a pretty unhealthy situation there. wasn't that like I was getting dad, like dadded hard mm-hmm. and it creates this like weird situation when you leave that it's like, it's business. This is a job. Right. And like the the intention of that person, we're not trying to make this sound like weird and creepy. The intention of that person could be wonderful. This person could have really cared about you and always wanted the best for you. And that's how it ended up that way. But it does create these unhealthy boundaries that it's like, then you feel like you are genuinely, owe this person, everything in your career. And because they've helped set you up and it's like, or you earned these positions and they were there for you, but that doesn't like this sort of like this father-like figure that you've created, that has been created is such an unhealthy boundary. It's so unhealthy. Yeah. It, and I, I'm sure that there's the equivalent of it on the man's side. And I know yeah. I have, you know, male friends that are, I think have felt that also when they have left somewhere, Absolutely. but I also know a lot of great examples where like I've worked with men at Skanska included where they've just been like, peace out, like not a thought mm-hmm. about it. They were just like, 
you don't deserve me. I'm amazing. I'm going to take my talents elsewhere. And I'm like, if I just had like a little bit of that gumption, like I would be, and I, I do think though, when I left Katera, like there was, you know, uh, you know, it was a definitely a different experience, like, especially with like male mentors of mine who didn't treat me like their daughter. They treated me like a, um, a partner. And so when I left, it was definitely like more of a, like, mutual we're so bummed to lose you um but I'm so excited for your next chapter and I think that like as as I've gotten more into a leadership position like people are going to leave no matter like it doesn't matter if you guilt them or make them feel bad for leaving they're going to leave so might as well make it a really positive experience and be excited that they're growing exactly we were talking about this in our office the other day and uh, because we're going through obviously hiring and trying to get to um, more staff for this office and, and looking at what we used to call, and I don't know if you talk, talk about this too, like the hopper, right? Like how you were just talking about like people moving all the time. That's such a norm now that when you're seeing somebody come in with a resume that has two to three years or less and is moving to different jobs, should it be a red, right? Is it a cause for concern? Or are we thinking like, oh, well, maybe they're developing themselves. Maybe we, this is their final landing spot that they think is going to be good for them for the next 10 years or five years or whatever it is. Like, do you think that you look at like sort of that hopping mentality differently now too? It's tough. Like I am certainly one that looks at a resume and like yeah. sees a job jumper and it has an eyebrow raise. Like, especially if people are only in a, in a role for like a year because That's, a yes. year is not, not enough time to do anything. It's not enough time to do anything. And like, I think about my first year and even at JLL and like the ups and downs and like still trying to figure out the organization. And, and like, certainly there's like some grace there, right? Like if there's one blip on a radar of like somebody worked somewhere for nine months and they were like, Hey, like, I know this is on my resume and it was just not a good cultural fit or whatever. Um, but you know, I, it's a healthy balance. Like, you know, I was, I was at Skanska for 10 years and I was at Katera for four years and now I've been at JLL for two and a half years. Um, I don't know. I, I think you need to be seated in the place that you're at, but it's like a two-way street, right? Like if we have people that come in and leave after a couple years at JLL or otherwise, the first place I look is us. Like, what are we not doing Mm -hmm. to retain talent like what what more could we be doing to make people want to stay versus like thinking bad on this person um you know and some people just like yeah it's a, it's just I mean how do you generational it's just a different it's a yeah um, I think person is it you feel like it's person to person almost yeah for sure like there if somebody has 10 positions in the last 10 years it's a total red flag or eight positions in the last 10 years. And I think sometimes you have a conversation with them. And some, sometimes to me, I, I'm like, oh, I don't actually think you want to be in this industry. And <laughs> so you keep going to a different company thinking that it's going to mm. be, yeah. be the place. You're like, this shoe will fit. Have. And then you're like, oh, no, it doesn't. It's like, maybe because none of these shoes fit. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you shouldn't be wearing shoes. You maybe you don't like boots, shoes. But... Maybe you don't like high heels. Maybe you like flats, like whatever it is, you know, like we get it, but you got to, it takes a while. Yeah. Um, and that certainly helps. <laughs> yeah. So on, uh, we talked a lot about a different, you know, operationally what you're looking at and different things like that. Do you think that, I think one of the important things we had touched on in our previous call was sort of this work-life balance and um, sort of giving yourself permission to take care of yourself and understanding like priorities, you know, everything, your priorities shift at different points in your life for different reasons, whether it's kids, whether it's, you know, what marriage, whatever all the different points in your life are, or career change or whatever. Um, what do you think you've learned the most um, as far as how to balance everything between, you know, work and, and helping mentor other people and other staff, other women, how to make sure that they're doing that for themselves too. Cause I know I'm, st I'm still bad at it. I'm going to say I'm notoriously bad at it and I'm constantly trying to work on it and sort of morph myself into giving myself permission, which sounds really cheesy and silly, but giving myself permission to also um, balance the two. What, what do you think you do that helps you with that? Oh, I, yeah. The person that's figured out work-life balance 
<laughs> I know we got 15 minutes. How much time do we need to talk about? Um, I, I, mean, I certainly haven't figured. I think that like one of the things that was really refreshing to me when I went from Skanska to Katera um, was the lack of a, the feel, the lack of the feeling that somebody was watching over my hours mm-hmm. and like, it just, you know, construction has this joke, like banking hours. Like if you leave at five, it's like, Oh, you're working banking hours now. You know, if you're not working, you know, past five, if you're not working into six, like there's this culture of working a lot and that is success and that is being good. And so even if you were like a highly productive person that's getting their stuff done and doing a great job, but you're not mm-hmm. working more hours, like you are not and the same, certainly like if you don't have those billable hours and you're not like putting in the time. And again, there's like a balance and all of that. Like certainly you, you need to do your job, but it was so refreshing at Katera to not have somebody watching over my back and not yeah. feeling like it was us and seats organization that leadership trusted in us to do our job. And, and I, I don't mean like leadership, leadership, like the CEO or whatever, but like who I, my leader, the person who was my manager, he trusted in me fully and knew that I was doing what I needed to do. So like, I never felt like, oh, I need to go to a doctor's appointment or I want to scoot out early on a Friday to do X, Y, and Z. Like as long as I was getting my job done, I didn't feel that. And it's amazing when you don't have that pressure or that oversight, like what a a lift it is on your shoulders to just feel like I'm a grown ass adult and a grown ass woman. I'm going to go to my doctor's appointment, but they know I'm still going to get my work done. Wow. It's, (laughs) I mean, isn't it mind blowing though? Like I remember, yeah, like scheduling the earliest dentist appointment possible or like the Mm -hmm. latest dentist appointment possible to like minimize my impact to work. And like when I was pregnant, like, you know, I would walk up the hill, you know, take a leisurely stroll up to my doctor's appointment and back and not, you know, and ever it was fine and nobody judged. I don't think like there were certainly people that thought that we were more of a butts and seats organization, which like Brooke will laugh at because we <laughs> we weren't at I never knew where anybody was at any time. And like, but you I know bet everything was getting done, <laughs> right? Yeah. The people that are going to underperform are going to underperform Absolutely. whether or not you're over, over them. So like this, that wor- that's how, you know, the work went from home mentality was going to work or not, because guess what? Those people are going to work, whether you're around or not, or they're not going to work, whether you're around or not. Like that's just them. totally. <laughs> and I said that kind of eased it for me, like at Katera, when we went into a remote, um, when COVID happened at Katera, like, I think that we were better set up as an organization to go remote because that like, um, trust that, that trust had been there before. So it wasn't like, you know, where my husband worked, like they didn't trust their employees no. that they yeah. were going to work. And then like, I think as an employee, knowing that your leadership doesn't trust you, like the relationship's broken at that point. No, it's like, like that's they, a gross feeling. It's a, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so I like, you know, going to JLL, it's, very similar in that way, like get your stuff done. And outside of that, I, you know, if you need to do what you need to do, do what you need to do. And like, if you, you know, I, my daughter started a new school a few weeks ago and like when I can during the week, like I've gone and picked her up at four o'clock or I picked her up at whatever. Um, and, or I, stayed with her a little bit longer when I've dropped her off or something like that. And like, I'm not asking for permission on that. I'm not saying yeah. like, Hey, you know, I'm going to be missing a couple hours here or there to do this thing. Like I, and I think that that mental space alone has made me feel like there's more of a balance because I'm the one that's in control of my time. So whether it is work time or play time, it's my time and I'm in control of it. And that I think has made a big impact on me just in terms of how I perceive work versus play or, you know, work versus free time is just like, it's my time. And if at any point somebody's like, you're not 
you know, and also I think holding what's sacred to you in terms of your, like, there's certain things that like certainly slipped for me. Like, I wish I worked out more. I wish I did all these things, but yes. like time with my child is non-negotiable. And so if there was ever a space where it was like, hey, you know, we need you to work more and that's going to impact what I feel like is a non-negotiable amount of time to be with my child, then it's like, okay, well, this isn't a fit for me anymore. Like, sorry about that. Um, you know, but again, then that goes back to I'm me and I'm not my job. And so you, you want to be in a place where you feel like it's supporting the parts of yourself that you want it to support. And if they're not anymore, then it's time to figure something else out. Um, but I, JLL is definitely, and I, you know, we talked about this too in the previous podcast, like my, my peer is a mom of two. My manager is a mom of three. Mm. You know, there are women in leadership I am surrounded by every day that have children. And so seeing them put their kids first and their families first, like makes all the difference in the world versus being at a construction company where all the moms were, all of the wives were stay-at-home moms and all of the women in leadership positions were not in positions of execution. You know, they were like marketing or they were HR or something. And so that as well, like that visibility. Yeah, that the sort RCO, of visibility RCO, matters RCO, so the much. Mom of two. Yeah, we did talk about, cause I was like, I, I realized the women I was looking up to in my previous firm, I was like, none of them are family people. And it's like, I didn't know when I was going to have kids, but I knew I was eventually, cause I'm such a family person. I love family, but I'm like, that's something that's really important to me. It doesn't have to be important to you, but it's important to me. And I'm like, who am I looking up to? Right. Like that's the, you know, oh, yeah. and if you, if your job is you and that's how you identify for yourself, that's great. But I didn't want that. Right. I want it to be, you know, a part of me, something that I love and I'm passionate about, but, um, like you said, seeing that other women were still really, I mean, obviously you're extremely passionate about your career. You're extremely intelligent, have so much to give the world and to offer to other women, you know, it would be an injustice to women in the world to, for you to not still be in the workforce, but also feel like you'd be supported to just still be yourself and have a family, right? Like, but when you said having those women with just two or three kids next to you made me smile so much because I feel like I don't even talk to a lot of women in our profession in leadership that do, you know, it's still not that common. Unfortunately, I feel like becoming more common at least I think. Right. Yeah. Or moms that are true, like that, that have the job that's affording them time to mm -hmm. like a big balance that out and, and do those things. Like to your point, I, I remember talking to my manager about it when I was at Skanska and it was like, well, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't be a mom and like be a project manager out on a job site. And I was like, show me one, show me one. <laughs> um, maybe could you give me an example? <laughs> yeah. I want to see the person, tell me the name. Cause I can give you the list of all the women that got pregnant and left job sites and they went into pre-construction or they quit altogether. I can give you that list. Show me the woman that's out on site. And it's like, well, you know, we can make accommodations. Oh, you can make a accommodations for somebody to be a mom? Like that, just that messaging, like, oh, you know, we can give you some accommodations. Like I'm on, you know, limited disability over here because I'm a mom. <laughs> right. You might get some pay maybe for a week. <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally. And this, this shouldn't be an exception. Well, this is a norm. We're talking about just family. This isn't some like out there astronomical discussion. This is just a norm, right? Someone wanting to start a family. It shouldn't be so taboo. Like, I don't understand, but your company yeah. and the leadership has to give you, has to, like you said, that trust, like that, that T word is so important. I feel like throughout that as well, like knowing like, Hey, Carmen's going to need a couple extra months. Maybe she needs a little more time than the typical time that's given. That's okay too. We know she's going to come back ready to go that because that's Carmen like but let's give her the time she needs also she might need a couple hours a week uh, to be with her daughter to help with this school stuff that's cool because it's Carmen we know she's like she's gonna help do this this and this and this and this and this and this so it's not even a question it's like understanding that the people you're hiring you should be trusting fully and vice versa it makes like you said it makes such a difference like such a difference in an environment I think 
Um, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's like making a space where people feel accepted or not like not accepted for being a mom, but like it's a it fosters that situation versus being in a space that is like, okay, we're okay with you being a mom. <laughs> like just that whole. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> like yeah, it's all right. You know, yeah, it's it's okay if you're gonna do this thing. Um, I guess I guess we'll make it work, you know. And this, I I would say like it's equally as true or worse for men in the profession that are having kids because yeah. like I think that the world has figured out that like yeah I guess we need to accommodate the woman and her child, but for a man to be accommodated for their child, it's like well don't you have a wife that can do all of those things? Yeah, and then they're like, well that's embarrassing for you. Why do you need to be at home too? Is your like is your wife not doing it enough? Also, like it's like some odd purgatory world where men aren't supposed to be at home helping yeah whole stigma about like you know the dad stays home with the kid and it's like well shouldn't your wife be doing this or couldn't your wife be doing this and I think that like as a woman also is still the case where like we take an we we like take on an additional burden for the child care parts because mm-hmm. our husband's workplaces are not they're mm-hmm. they're not giving them the space or allowing it to be acceptable. So it's like a lot of times, you know, it feels, you know, and maybe I'm projecting it, but it's like, if she's got something like she's sick at school, like I need to be the one that goes and gets her because, you know, I can talk to my manager and she knows I'm going to get my stuff done. And she knows I'm a mom versus my husband. It's like, Oh, there he goes again to get the sick kid. Huh? Hope he can get his work done. So I think that we also like, in addition to just the burden in general, like we are the primary caregiver in so many cases, which makes it doubly hard. That's a very good point. And to remember that like helping our firms understand, even when we're talking about, you know, maternity leave and things for moms or women in general to help understand or help them understand that being understanding for dads is important too. You know, like, I don't think that's necessarily something I don't want to speak for dads, but not necessarily something a, a father or a husband wants to speak up about, about work, but, you know, as moms, we can be like, no, that's not appropriate. I'll give him the space and grace he needs to get that done too, you know? So that, you know, the, there's a woman somewhere on the other end that needs the help also, right? Like it's the balance oh, yeah. between the two. Um, it's such a good yeah. point. About, like newborn phase being like this terrible, like super hard on the parents, like those first months. Well, I'll tell you the other phase that's really hard is when your child starts daycare and they're sick every single week and you get a call from daycare and these calls come out of nowhere, like 11 o'clock, three o'clock, you have to drop everything. You send out 20 meeting cancellations. Like my kid is home with a fever like that. And it happens. Cause they don't let you wait. Right. Like you got to go get your kid. That's it. Go get your kid. Yeah. And you drop everything. And I, you know, there's certainly this like mental space like I remember talking to a guy friend of mine and you know super innocent and he meant it in the nicest way possible and but he was like I was you know was talking about work he's like everybody's got kids so everybody's gone all the time all the kids are sick he's like I wish I had a kid so that I could be gone all the time because they're sick all the time like maybe my you know but it's true like when your kid is getting sick like it is not much you can do about it No, and I don't have a kid that I can work while they're sick at home. And I also don't want to like be trying to juggle them, you know, when they've got a fever and they need you the most. And you're like, let me just hop on this, you know, team skull real quick. Like, um, you're not going to bring your sick baby with fever into JLL, Carmen, because everybody (laughs) would love that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I promise you the cold's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not bad. It's fine. She's threw up this morning, but she's good. Up in a couple hours, so we're good. Oh my god, it's so true. Um, we have to wrap up soon, but I did want to ask you one more yeah. thing. Like, what do you think you would say to someone starting out in our profession as a young female um, that was like a little uh, apprehensive about um, starting out in our career or feeling like they didn't have the correct or you know feeling like they didn't know if this was the right profession for them? Is there any sort of like? larger advice you think you would give out into the world for somebody just starting out? Um, I mean, I think kind of going back to the conversation that we had earlier is just really feeling like you own, own your career. Your mm. career is not owned by somebody else. So like the firm doesn't own you, you own 
like you're in control and um, recognizing that from, at least for me, if I had recognized that from an earlier age, I think I would have made different decisions if I felt truly like I was the one that was in control. So know that you're, you know, and, and pivot, like pivot the hell out of it. Like if you go and work somewhere and it's not the right fit and it's not the right, like, as you know, very well, not every architecture firm is made the same, you know, they're they're all so different. They're small ones, they're big ones. And then, you know, your people manager, like that's so much of it too. Like you could work for a great firm and have a bad people manager or a terrible firm and have a great people manager. And so, you know, feel like you can pivot and feel like, you know, you're not going to fail. Things aren't failures. I had this, a friend's mom of mine, um, one time told me, and it's probably one of the, like, I, I think about it always when I think about my career. Um, she, she was just talking to, you know, we were talking about, and this was around the time when I was thinking about leaving Skanska. She's like, you know, you can, you can take steps forward in your career. You can take steps backward in your career. You can take steps to the side, you know, maybe it's a lateral move. Said, but the worst thing you can do is feel like you're standing still. And I was like, boom, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like if you feel like you are in a place where you're stuck, you can't grow, you feel like you're suffocated, you know, it's like a bad relationship. Like you need to get out. And it doesn't matter, you may go to a place that is not the best fit. You may go to a place that's just a lateral move. But the worst thing you could do is stand still. And for me, like that has been a really all my career decisions have kind of been made through that lens now. Um, knowing that like, yeah, I can pick something bad, but as long as I'm moving, it doesn't matter if I'm moving forward or backward, but I am moving. Um, that is what truly matters. So I would say, you know, that was a piece of career advice that somebody gave me that I still make decisions through that lens. It's, it's such a good point. I mean, even if you're going backwards, at least you're learning from it. At least you're, you know, making mistakes is part of that. So exactly. I think my biggest fear in life is staying still, right? As far as my as growth goes. So I think that's, that's the perfect thing to end with. Thank you. I think that yeah, this is going to be you. a good one. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this.